handshakes. 30 years ago, The Motley Fool debuted. Its name comes from Bill Shakespeare. Bill Shakespeare's play, As You Like It. Uh, the Motley Fool, the court gesture, no one as the fool, could speak truth to the king, the king, without having his head lopped off. The Fools of Yore, according to the Motley Fool website, entertained the court with humor that instructed as it amused. More importantly, the fool was never afraid to question conventional wisdom. Hence, the Motley Fool website and the organization arguing for money and investing and to make financial guidance accessible. It's not an advertisement for the Motley Fool. Suffer fools means you put up with someone's madness. And a suffering fool, well, that doesn't need a lot of explanation now, does it? Our text today... Verse 1, chapter 3, Galatians, page 973. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, there's first off here, because like, remember from our study of the Gospels, right? Matthew, Wednesday nights. Jesus says, if you call a brother fool, okay, it's not a great thing. Different word here, so rest at ease. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. De Silva argues, it, it might be a better translation to say unthinking. Oh, you unthinking Galatians, who has bewitched you? They're not thinking clearly, unthinking. Are you this dense? Like the old argument, are you ignorant or ambivalent? I don't know, I don't care. That should have gotten a better laugh than that. <laughs> are you ignorant or ambivalent? I don't know. I don't care. He doesn't say the word stupid. We might say the word stupid. This isn't about intellect. This isn't a case of a group of people who can't do life. It's almost like, and then you get it in the next phrase, who has bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell? What sort of sorcery have you succumbed to? Which adds this interesting layer, right? And we live in a world in which we often discount the spiritual. We live in a world in which we are able to do things and get things done, and our physical effort and our mental effort and our emotional response, we can get things done. Paul's like, unthinking, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? And to be sure, this isn't a case of, oh, the devil made me do it. I kind of think some people play this one tongue-in-cheek. And I think there's also an overplay on this, okay? I think there's an overplay where we give too much power and authority to Satan. Satan did this in my life. Well, I'm not totally sure. I think Satan's probably in the Ukraine right now. I think Satan's probably in Sudan, probably flies in between. Then he bops on over to the C-A-R. I think Satan's there. S Satan is not omnipresent. We ascribe too much authority, too much power to Satan. It's not God versus Satan like they're equals. Satan is limited in power, limited in ability, limited in availability. We've had this discussion before, right? But Satan also has his minions, not the movie, who are willing to do his bidding. 
Satan runs a very, very successful enterprise, albeit more focused on short-term realities than long-term planning, which oddly enough seems to also affect significant corporations. But that's another rant for another day. Have you ever been bewitched? Have you ever been put under a spell? Have you ever experienced something where you're like, this, what, what, what just happened? Or, or when you take a careful inventory, you're like, wait, wait, wait a second, all, like, like the sum of the parts is greater than the sum of the parts. So what's going on here? Have you ever been bewitched? Have you ever been put under a spell? Have you ever been overtly, disproportionately influenced by the work of evil in your life? Maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you're like, that's not real. Oh, it's real. And without diving too deep into it, I, I just we need to just like do what Jesus did, okay? So if you have one of these near you or in front of you, just grab it quick. Would you do that for me? Would you just would you take the chance? It's worth the chance. Just grab it, okay? Flip it open to page 809, okay? Flip it to page 809. Okay, this is just uh, you can put it right back down. It won't burn your fingers. Okay, it really, really, you could just, it's quick. Okay, we'll just do it quick and then we'll be on with the rest of it. Okay, page 809. Okay, the big four and then go down to the little 10. Okay, the big four, go down to the little 10. Because Jesus experienced Satan attempting to bewitch him, to put a spell on him. And this is what Jesus did. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and only shall you serve. So Jesus does two things. He's like Satan or Satan's minions, not the movie. Be gone. I worship the Lord God and serve him only. And my mind isn't about to be bewitched or put under a spell by you or your minions, not the movie. Text goes on, verse 2. You can put the Bible down now if you want. If you don't, 973 is where we continue. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Again, same idea, unthinking, right? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer? Equally good translation might be experience. Did you experience, did you suffer, did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Paul to his friends uh, in this area, in this region. He's like, hey, I got a question for you. Just one question for you. Now, there's going to be more than one question. Okay, it's kind of a classic. I only have one question to start with, you know, and then the attorney goes on a rant, right? I got one question. How did this start? How did this start? Was it your effort or the work of God? Was it your initiative or the Holy Spirit? Was it about your personal compliance and ability to create something, or was it faith? Paul looks into their souls and says, you know what you experienced you know, you heard about Jesus. You know you experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know that it was real. You know that it wasn't based on your human effort. You know because you felt it deep in your soul. And now, <laughs> this first century, oh, we're halfway home, and I'm going to take it over from here, right? Right? Paul's like, what? Introduced to Christ, experience the work of the Holy Spirit, and say, okay, I'm good now. Let me take the wheel. Jesus, let me take the wheel from you. Let me do it. Step aside. Boys and girls, I'm in charge. Paul uses this word flesh. The Greek word is sarx. There's probably two or three or maybe more meanings, okay? Sarx in the ancient Near Eastern world could refer to the largest organ on the human body, okay? Your skin, your literal skin. It can also refer to this um, part of the human nature that draws us away from God. And also I think there's a little bit that it can be that aspect of self-initiative, okay? Self-ability, okay? How am I going to lift that speaker? I'm going to lift it by my flesh, okay? My, my personal ability, my strength, okay? And there's probably a few others that we can create. And Paul will, will explore these more completely. But he's saying, in your flesh... How's it, how's it going to work? In essence, telling God, I can manage from here. Oh, can you? Really, you've got this, Paul says. Intro to Jesus, maybe a couple of basic entry-level classes, and that's all you need. Got enough of Jesus everything will be all right. We so love to impress ourselves with our self-sufficiency, our ability to get something done. And to be sure, we can get a lot of cool stuff done. But, but please, it's okay. It's, it's really okay. I'm not as good as I think I am. You're not as good as you think you are. Take it from a motley fool. Give me permission to have a little fun with you and, and, and deliver something that is, that is really, really life-altering. We're not self-sufficient. You, 
you can't. I can't save myself. We can't do it on our own. It, it won't work on our own. It might have happened this last week. It might have happened a year ago. Anyway, I was having a conversation with a friend, and they were consulting with me about a challenge that I was facing. And, and so I, um, I took their advice. I took their advice, put it into practice, and it worked perfectly. Like, just like magic. I was just like, I had no idea it would work this good. Following someone else's advice and dealing with a problem that I was facing. So then I reported back to my friend, and, uh, and they just related to me, and, 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 and they said, good job. <laughs> and I just looked them in the eye, and I said, I just did what you advised I should do. I, I didn't do anything. My friend said, yeah, but you still had to do it. And I understand there are times when you just have to make the decision on your own, right? You just, you just have to make the decision on you just I mean, you're in the firing line, and you have to make the decision on your own, right? Wrong. Wrong. There's no decision that you will ever encounter in life that you have to make on your own. If you want to make it on your own, that's on you. But there's no decision we will ever encounter in our life that we would not benefit from inviting the Holy Spirit into that decision-making process. And while Paul is only speaking to one camp, the Galatians who have, have started something but haven't finished it, my sense is we can be in one of two camps, right? We can be in the camp of never starting, okay? We've never started to allow the Holy Spirit's influence into our life. We've never started, in some ways, a relationship with Jesus Christ and all that that promises. Or we haven't finished. We're in one of two camps. Either we've never started or we haven't finished. And there's room for growth in both camps. Verse 6 is where we conclude today. Paul bases his argument on as much weight as you can possibly add to a audience. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says, can I get you to think, how does faith happen? How does a relationship with Jesus Christ happen? And the example that he uses, Abraham, is one that Paul's opponents would have claimed as their own. Abraham. Interesting point of fact, Abraham wasn't an Israelite. You don't have an Israelite until Abraham and Sarah have a son who is named Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah have twins, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob gets a name change to Israel. Then the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob, are the Israelites. It's a history thing. Genealogy, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's kind of like April showers bring... And Mayflowers bring, and smallpox. It's just a history thing. It's a, and nothing to get freaked out about. It's just it's it's okay. It's a, don't be afraid of history. Don't don't get wigged out by history. Okay, lots of important lessons to learn from history. Paul's example, Abraham. Right, Abraham starts his faith journey as simply as one can. 
he heard God speaking to him, and he responded. If I can be bold, God is speaking to you today. God loves you. Do you believe him? God loves you. Do you believe him? God wants to love you. Will you let him? God wants to invite you into a relationship with him and his son and his spirit. Do you believe him? Jesus died for our sins. Do we accept that? Do we believe that? Accepting Jesus as our Savior starts a relationship with God. It's a statement of truth, and it's gooey, and it's mystical, and it's like, how does this happen? Yes! How does it happen? A lifetime to figure it out. But it starts with belief. Do we believe and will we let that belief permeate our life? It's the question that Paul is asking of his audience. In a few moments, uh, Lee and the team are going to come and take the stage, provide reflection through music. Then we will embrace our do this in remembrance of me, the Lord's table, communion, the Eucharist. An introduction will direct us to the authority of Jesus in our lives. And that's the authority in our lives, folks. It's not a person who stands on this stage. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. Those are the authority figures in our lives. We'll have a time of examine, a time of silence. And then we'll have a corporate prayer asking for forgiveness. The words will be on the screen. We can say them together. You can pray them silently. The words find their basis in the greatest commandment according to Jesus, that we should love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Mechanically, okay, we'll walk up aisles two and four. Two, four. And then we'll walk down aisles one, three, and five. You can choose to serve yourself or be served. If you're unable to walk forward or move forward in a timely manner, simply raise your hand and we will come to you and serve you. If you want to be served, hold your hands like this and we will put a piece of bread and juice into your hand. If you want to serve yourself, walk with your arms at your side and we will offer you a piece of bread and you can dip the juice. There will be a period of silence and the band will build and the vocals will enter and we'll end with this tune called Holy Water. A strong statement of our intent, our commitment, our dependence on the Savior in whose table we have just participated.
Please pray with me. Father, we come. Help us to believe. Father, we come. Enable our hearts to be convinced that you love us. Enable our hearts to be convinced that you want to be in relationship with us. Enable our hearts to know that we can be forgiven. Father, we come to you knowing we can't do it on our own. We need you and your Son and your Spirit. Father, we come in the name of Jesus.